0: Good morning so, to all of you. Okay, yeah, that's that's. I meant to do that. Uh, good morning to all of you. Um, I just want to say thank you from all of the Robert and Esther Yoder family for coming to share this service with us. I have thought so often since Mama's stroke how much how good God has been, this today would be a lot harder if we wouldn't have had this last six weeks with Mama. Uh I think we had a really good portrait in our minds and hearts of the kind of person Mama was. But after this six weeks with her, it's in color instead of black and white. And we thank the Lord for that. The songs that were sung as you waited for us as a family, the songs we'll sing here and the songs that will be sung at the graveside are all songs that were suggested to us by looking at her journal that she kept every day. And many of the songs, titles, or phrases would be written in all caps and in red. When there was something important it was in all caps when it was really important it was in all caps and in and in red uh, and they will tell you something of what mama was and what her love for the Lord was I want to open with song number 30 in the life songs the theme of faithfulness the faithfulness of God to his children is a theme that appears over and over in Mama's journal. Uh, one day in the hospital, she, uh, one of us, was singing it to her. And all of a sudden, you know, from wherever Mama was, she was helping to sing. And she was on the right verse and in the right spot of the team ahead of whoever was singing. Mama knew this song, I'm sure, by heart. Number 30. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father.
1: There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not
0: to song number 218. I don't know that I could necessarily say that the 23rd song was Mama's favorite song, but it was one of her favorites. She told me one Saturday morning in the hospital, kind of surfaced out of I don't know if it was sleep or if she just wasn't home for right then, but she kind of surfaced and said, the Lord is my shepherd. And she paused for a bit. And then she said, he's taking care of me now. He restoreth my soul over and over again. <clears throat> Number 218. <clears throat> The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he maketh me down
1: to lie. In pasture's green he leadeth me, the quiet water's smile. So crieth out, restore me again, and give me the strength. Stop me.
2: we've met today in the shepherd's name in the name of Jesus the god of comfort the god of peace and our blessed hope we're here to remember our sister Esther and to pay our respects and we want to show this family that we love them we mourn with them we loved their mom their grandma And their great grandmother, she will be missed. And we're also here to worship, to rejoice in that hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. I'll read the obituary. Esther Yoder, 85 of 2315 Covered Bridge Road, Gladys, died Monday, October 7, 2013, at her residence. She was the wife of the late Robert Edward Yoder, Sr. She was born February 4, 1928, in Hutchison, Kansas, the daughter of the late Bandy Yoder and Mary Nisley Yoder. She was a member of Bethel Mennonite Church and active in the sewing circle for many years. She is survived by five sons, Robert E. Yoder Jr. and wife Omeria, Dwayne Yoder and wife Joyce, Joseph Yoder and wife Mary Sue, Donald Yoder and Ernest Sonny Yoder and wife Ruth, all of Gladys, Three daughters, Betty Ann Martin and husband Lynn of Rustburg, Edna Ruth Martin and husband Harold of Long Island, and Alice Marie Missy Bender of Floyd, Virginia. 30 grandchildren and 19 great-grandchildren, plus four sisters, Lavina Yoder and husband Ernest of Rustburg, Fannie Mae Yoder of Stanton, Maggie Schrock and husband Alvin of Cumberland, Virginia. Mary Beth Schifflet and husband Harvin of Free Union, Virginia. Three brothers, Sanford Yoder and wife Martha of Costa Rica. Eli Yoder and wife Ruth of Floyd. And Harvey Yoder and wife Alma Jean of Harrisonburg. Brother-in-law Alvin Schrock of Stanton. A stepsister, Esther Koblenz of Kelowna, Iowa, and a number of nieces and nephews. She was preceded in death by a grandson, John David Yoder, a sister, Lucy Schrock, a son in law, Clyde Bender, and a stepbrother, Alvin Yoder. <coughs> The family wishes to extend their gratitude to the staff of the skilled care unit in the English building at Virginia Baptist Hospital and the staff of Centra Hospice. They also want to express special appreciation to Aunt Grace Horsley for her loving care in the time following our mother's stroke. In thinking of a meditation for Aunt Esther's funeral, my thoughts went to Second Corinthians, the third chapter, verses two and three. Second Corinthians three, verses two and three. You are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Aunt Esther was not a chatterbox, and expressing herself uh, out loud sometimes wasn't easy for her. She had good thoughts. She had deep spiritual thoughts. She was intelligent. She graduated valedictorian of her class, but she declined to give the customary speech at her graduation. But writing was easier. She often found it easier to express herself in writing. She wrote journals. She took sermon notes. She jotted many letters and notes of encouragement to others. Sometimes family members would come across in certain-to-be-found places personal notes of inspiration, admonishment, maybe even a gentle rebuke. Esther's life was a letter. Like this epistle describes, these verses describe. Clearly an epistle of Christ, not written with ink, but written by the Spirit of God on her heart. And we saw written there love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We saw self-denial and obedience to the Lord Jesus. We saw an abiding faith and trust in Jesus, a love for the Savior and shepherd of her soul. We saw a servant faithful to the end. And such a life is an epistle, a letter, a letter of comfort to us today because God's word assures us that when their life on earth is ended, the souls of the faithful redeemed will fly away to the glorious presence of Jesus Christ for all eternity. And such a life is also a letter of instruction for us. It shows us what genuine Christianity is when lived out in shoe leather. And it reminds us that in order to to have that assurance, that hope for ourselves, that assurance of reaching heaven ourselves, we must also be true followers of Jesus. Let's stand together for prayer. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, your only begotten Son, that you sent to the world so that we, through him, could have eternal life. We thank you for Esther. We thank you that she early surrendered her life to Jesus and lived a life of discipleship, faithful to the end. We thank you for the work that you did in her heart, for the spiritual fruit that you produced and that we could see. We thank you for her example of godliness, of pursuing God and wanting to know Jesus better and to be closer to Him and to uh, serve Him more faithfully. We thank you for her compassion for others, her compassion for her family, for the lost, And Father, we do pray Your blessing on this family that is gathered to mourn her passing. We pray You would give them comfort and grace and peace this day. Give them strength. And bless us all as we worship together and pray that our worship would be inspirational to each of us and edifying and honoring to You. And would bring glory to Your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll give you the order of the service. Uh, Joe will lead another song. Then Eli, uh, Esther's brother, will have the message followed by another song by Joe. And then... Esther's youngest brother Harvey will read tributes that the, that the children have written followed by another song led by
0: Joe. There are separate song sheets on uh, each bench there for you. I hope there are enough that everyone can see. It's um, it's marvelous grace of our loving Lord. It's a song that a uh, uh, number of us saw in her journal and it was in all caps, I promise you it was. Um, Mama often mentioned her need of the grace of God and her gratitude that it was so abundant. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. <clears throat> Marvelous grace of our loving Lord,
1: Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's smile.
3: This past Tuesday, I was asked to share in a funeral of our neighbor. Yesterday, my wife and I were at a funeral of a preacher friend of mine. His wife passed away. Today, I'm here. This funeral is a bit different because this is my sister. What should I say? I'd like, first of all, to look at a scripture where Jesus commented about a lady that I think pictures my sister, the life that she lived, found in Mark 14, beginning with verse 3. And being in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikener, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that were in, had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence, and had been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. Now notice what Jesus says about this lady. And Jesus said, "Let her alone. What trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, that ye may do them good. But me, you have not always. She hath done what she could. She is come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily, I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world." This also that she hath done shall be spoken of her as a memorial of her. I think that's quite a tribute to this lady that so selfishly gave because she loved Jesus. (coughs) Sister Esther never wanted to be in the lamplight. She would not want me to eulogize her today, I'm sure. She was not that kind of person. But the type of person that she was spoke loud messages to all of us who knew her in her life. I suppose that one of the things that impressed me about my sister that I didn't know for a long time some time ago our family got a scrapbook together from a wife and I and they wrote things about us and our family in that scrapbook. And this is what Esther said. <clears throat> said, when they found out that there was going to be an ordination here, this place, that she said this. This is what she wrote. If Eli is ordained, we will be needed. As a result of that, they moved here in November 1961. I was ordained in January 1962. My wife and I felt their support throughout my ministry and deeply appreciated that support. At least twice, when I was away from meetings, away from my family, for a week, they brought my wife at the close to spend the weekend with me and, and be able to travel home with me. That was their support, we felt. I think that was the character of her life. Where I'm needed. Different times I heard her say, during the rush (coughs) time of the bakery and Floyd, for Missy, she said, Missy needed me. Yes, she didn't want, want to be in the lamplight, but she was willing to serve behind the scenes. She would want Jesus Christ to be exalted here today. She would want us to be challenged to follow the Christ she followed and to serve the Christ and love the Christ that she loved. That would be her desire. Three things that I'd like to suggest that this funeral should remind us of And one is that we're living in the land of the dying. I remember that statement made when my mother's funeral. I never thought of it quite that way. We usually think that we're living in the land of the living, but we're living in the land of the dying. They tell us that after about age 25, 26, we begin the dying process. We can't avoid it. We can't reverse it. All of us are going that road the same speed. Some of us have started quicker than others. That's the only difference. (coughs) Nobody has found the fountain of youth. We're in that process and we need to think seriously about that fact. And Esther's passing should remind us of that. Many of us would like to say like Job did, I wish I could be like it was in months past. He was talking about when he was young and when he had life and when things were going well for him. Ecclesiastes 12 describes the process of aging. And he goes on to say the close of that description of life and the dying process, he said, man goeth to his long home. <clears throat> I like the way the German says it. "Der Mensch feared who are avicly blight. He goes where he forever stays. After that, he's talking about the person who loves the Lord. I used to hear about the golden years and I don't know when they are. Never found them yet. And I've concluded that they're on the other side. That this life is simply a preparation for that those golden years. And I think Esther has found that already. She's found that even though that life hasn't wasn't always golden for her on this side, she found that walking through that valley that Psalmist talks about, the valley of the shadow of death, she's found that on the other side there's a table and healing all. She's found going from the pasture to paradise, where there's a table of blessing forevermore. We need to remember that in this life, change can come very, very quickly. From what I understand, Esther was just doing what she was normal to do when the stroke hit, very sudden, very quickly. Moment through. We could ask ourselves the question, why does life have so many difficulties? Why does life have pain? Why does life for the Christian sometimes uh, bring loneliness as our loved ones depart from us that we depended on, we loved? I've concluded that probably it's because God wants to help us turn loose from this life. When everything goes well, we can get so satisfied and so settled down and so attached to the things of this world that we really don't want to go anywhere else. We're happy here. But I had to think about the children of Israel. God said, I see their affliction. And he sent Moses down there. And that affliction got pretty difficult until they were ready and willing to leave and go to the promised land. I believe that's probably why God allows some difficulties in our life to help us to turn loose from this life. Secondly, I believe that this funeral should remind us that all of us need to be ready to go. Lest we become so earthbound and so enslaved to the things in this world that we forget, someday we must leave. We must die. And when that time comes, then we will meet God. I never wanted to get old. That was not in my plans. And I told somebody one time, I don't, uh, you know, I just don't want to get old. He said, You don't have to. You can die young. That's the only option we have. The only option we have. How sad would it be that we come to the end of life and we find that we weren't ready? I remember old Gooley Howard, he was our neighbor when we moved to Virginia, I was always kind of scared of Gooley. He would ride by our place with his on his mule. And when Gooley would come down the road, I'd try to be away. I didn't want to meet Gooley Howard. Something about him that was kind of scary. And I understand when Gooley Howard was on his deathbed, the minister came to him and said, Gooley, don't you want to give your life to the Lord? And he said, I've served the devil for so long, I can't Let him down now. What an awful way to go. Robert Ingersoll, the infidel, at his brother's grave, I understand, said this. Life is a narrow veil between two cold and barren peaks of eternity. We strive to look beyond the heights of We cry aloud, and the only answer is the echo of our own cry. What an empty way, terrible way in life. Today we stand here, and we will stand at the grave, being able to sing the songs of praise and victory, because Esther knew the Lord. Today is a good time to examine our own life where we stand. The third place, I'd like this funeral to remind us the promises of God. The wonderful promise of God, a God who is sovereign, a God who is eternal, a God that cannot lie. That gives us a lot of confidence, does it not? To know that in this book we have the message of God that A God who cannot lie. And he said, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He said, If any man will open the door, I will come in. You know, the heart's door has to open from the inside out. We have to open it. He comes knocking, he says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He comes knocking at people's heart's door, but we must open it from the inside. And he promised that if we do, that he will come in and fellowship with us. Yes, he said, if any man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He said, anybody that loves me will keep my words. Jesus said that. Esther loved Jesus and therefore was willing to stand for him. Willing to be identified with him. Because I maintain that when we love somebody, we want to be very, very careful how we serve that person. Because we want to show our love. How we please that person. We have in our drawer in our kitchen a hodgepodge of silverware. We're not like some people, you know, that all has to match and everything. One day I told my wife we were I don't remember the just how it all was, but we had these two spoons that looked different, very different from the rest. And uh, she made some comment about these spoons being different. Maybe we should just, you know, get rid of them. And uh, I think they were given to us by Annie's Zaire, some grandmother of some of you. I don't remember. But I told my wife, I, I like that Those spoons. They're they're masculine spoons. (laughs) You know what? Ever since that, almost every meal, I've got one of those spoons. (laughs) It keeps telling me I love you. I love you. I like that. I maintain... That Esther loved Jesus and she was not ashamed to be identified with him. She wanted to serve him. Yes, you could call her a legalist if you want to, you could call her a super legalist if you wanted to, but because she loved Jesus. And love causes us to want to be identified with him, not to be ashamed of him. We love him because he first loved us. We don't love him so he'll love us. He already loved us. We love him because he loved us. We love him because he loved us. And he wants us to someday be with him. In his prayer in John 17, he said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. I want them to be with me. You see we see death from a human's perspective we see it from our loss but we ought to see it or try to see it from God's perspective I want my bride I want my this my child that where I am neighbor, there there uh, where I am there they may be also in the little book of Jude, book that describes end times, book that describes the compromise and the selfishness and the pride and the rebellion of this world. And the pressure that comes to us, the pull that comes to us from the old nature we experience in this world, that pull that causes us to become cold and indifferent and calloused. To the things of God, he exhorts the Christian to building up yourselves in the mo- in the love of God, and this is a personal and a cooperative effort. Should be, I personally want to build up myself in the love of God, and as a church, we want to exhort and challenge each other to build ourselves up in the. So that we can stand faithful and true in this kind of world in which we live. That personal and cooperative effort to be faithful. And he said he is able to keep us from falling. And to present us faultless in his presence. What a wonderful promise. Faultless in his presence with Glory in exceeding joy. I believe Esther has experienced that. To the family and to the rest of us. May we find comfort in the promises of God. May we walk in that narrow path that she walked. That path of humility. That path of commitment. That path of loving service. Just quietly, but faithfully, serving God and serving others. That's the path Esther chose to follow. And I think she would say to us today, follow me only as I follow Christ. May this service remind us, not only of all the blessings that she was to our life, but also the fact that someday we will be here. We want to be among those who are ready to meet
0: Turn in your church hymnals to number 404. I spent three Saturday mornings with Mama, two at the hospital and one at home. And um, we tried to be sure that there was someone of the immediate family that was or grandchildren would be with her all the time. Of course, in the hospital, when the staff had things to do, we had to go somewhere else for a little while, but uh, she knew we were there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had been singing the song, we'll close the funeral service with Lift Your Glad Voices. I'd sung a couple verses of that kind of quietly to myself, but so she could hear it too. And uh, then I asked Mama if there was a song she would like me to sing for her. And uh, she shook her head a little bit and looked just a little puzzled and confused. And so I kind of let the subject pass and I thought I wouldn't insist on anything that she didn't want. And all of a sudden she said, just as seemeth good to thee. And I don't know how much mama understood to her till she died of how much the stroke had done. But she knew she had had a stroke and she knew she was at the hospital. And uh, yet this is a song that she wanted sung <coughs> number 404. Choose my path, O
1: blessed Savior. Let me try
4: the Bible, Esther is this beautiful young woman who becomes a queen. And my sister was a lot like that, a sweet, royal kind of presence in our home. Unfortunately, I was only eight years old when she left our home to be married to the love of her life. And we were lived nearby and we were all amazed at her royal patience in that rapidly growing and never a dull moment little kingdom that was her family. And here they are, the fruit of her witness, her influence, her love. And I have from them some things they have written in in memory uh, of her, how these two, he, these two eight good people had been blessed by living under her reign. I start with Bobby's tribute. Mom was not imp- impressive by most standards. She never really learned to drive, rarely took a trip, and never spoke in public was embarrassed by how her emotions would get in the way when she tried to speak. But I would be hard-pressed to find an individual who more consistently lived out a life of simple faith and obedience. Her life was characterized by servanthood and respect for others. The fruit of the Spirit were the rule of her life. We children barely needed to be taught about them because the demonstration of them was all we saw growing up. I was the oldest and saw firsthand the stressful seasons of raising eight children, all of whom were born in a nine-year span of time. But I've never seen her angry. I've never heard her say a disrespectful word about anyone. Like Mary, Jesus' mother, she pondered much in her heart, gave advice sparingly, but exuded the nature of Christ lavishly, predictably consistent in a calm and loving manner. She never accused or jumped to conclusions or acted rashly. Only eternity will reveal how strong and deep are the foundations that dad and mom have given us children to build our lives on. I know mom would never take the credit for all this, and rightly so, because it's been Jesus within and a constant moving toward God that has made her what she is. Yet it's only appropriate that we would praise God and thank her as well for the rare and priceless gift she's been to us. She has truly worn well the ornament of a a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. I have no doubt that she has already heard those gracious words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. So when I think of mom, I see someone I deeply love, who's been a shining example of what I believe is a truly successful life. In God's economy, success is not so much about great accomplishments, but rather a life that has demonstrated well the nature and character of Jesus. This was the life of my mother, for which I am humbly grateful. From Duane, I've always known mom to be very focused spiritually. She lived her beliefs out in everyday life. In her everyday walk, I would see love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. After her stroke, she regained an amazing amount of her mental capacity for a couple of weeks. Here, stripped of most of her physical capabilities, she was still concerned for others, thankful to caregivers, not demanding for help, not complaining, Nearing her last hour, she mostly quoted Bible verses and hymns. I realized, as I had thought all along, that Mom's walk with God was not just a surface thing. It went clear to the bone. Thanks, Mom, for your faithfulness and your example. <coughs> From Joe. Joe. My memory of Mama is the only time I ever saw her break down and cry. It was in the summer of 1961, several months before we moved here to Gladys. Daddy had taken a job building pole barns, and it meant that he left home early Monday mornings and didn't get back until late Friday evenings, or sometimes not until Saturday. An old farmer was renting the dairy barn and pastures from us that summer, and one morning we boys discovered that the fence around the garden had been pushed over by his cows, and they were in our sweet corn patch. The corn was just about ready to be hauled and put into the freezer. And when we tried to herd them out into the pasture again, the cows seemed to think it was a game, and gaily thundered up and down through the corn, trampling nearly all of it and a lot of the rest of the garden for good for good measure i'll never forget how mama threw her apron up over her face and cried like a broken woman but it wasn't for long she gathered herself together and went about comforting her family and reestablishing order to the day i have no doubt that in time every usable nubbin of sweet corn was rescued and put away for the family for the winter. Donnie. Thinking about some way to illustrate mom's Christian life, I would say her life was a living example of the Sermon on the Mount and uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and the church and church fellowship, was very precious to her. Mm. From Sonny. I remember feeling I was really special to Mama, as in extra special. But as I grew older, I realized that she treated all my siblings and their families that way too, which makes me love her and respect her even more. She took such an interest in our families, all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and in our callings in life. During her last hospital stay, mom's love for and interest in people shone. In her very disabled state, she would ask visitors something about their lives and about their family. She was such an unselfish and caring person, she was a helper, always eager to assist us in canning, sewing and other projects. And in the things that really count, Mom was a great person. We will miss her, but rejoice that she's released from suffering.. <clears throat> Betty Ann. Mama was a shy person, but was always glad to follow in her older sister, Levina's shadow. But underneath that shyness was a heart full of love and caring for other people. When she had her stroke, we were told that she would never talk again. But some of her first words when she recovered her speech were concern for her children and their well-being. The people who came along to visit her soon found that she asked questions about their life and how things were going for them. We were amazed at times with the details that she remembered of our lives and her interest in them, even when she needed so much care herself. Edna Ruth I have a childhood memory of popping into mom's bedroom in the middle of the day and finding her kneeling beside her bed, which captures who she was her entire life. Her sweet and sometimes desperate dependence on her Lord will forever be a lesson of devotion and commitment to me and all who knew her well. Missy. Since I'm the only one of her children who didn't live in the same community as mom, she probably spent more time in my home than any of the homes of my siblings. She and Daddy would spend every Thanksgiving and Christmas with me after I moved to Floyd County and opened the breadbasket. Daddy loved it in the mountains, and even after he passed away in 2004, she continued to come. She wanted me to have a list of things for her to do so she could stay busy during the time she spent with me. Her servant's heart was so evident in the way she loved to do things for others. Mom was a prayer warrior. On Wednesday mornings she would fast and spend extra time in Bible study and prayer. There's no way of knowing how many people she has interceded for, lifting them to the throne of grace. She had such a tender heart, and as many of you know, she cried easily. She always carried a handkerchief in her pocket and used it often to wipe her tears. She loved reading wholesome books and many times would start a book and not finish it because it wasn't the quality she enjoyed. She didn't want to waste her time on unwholesome reading. She was gifted with writing and often found it easier to express herself in writing than in speaking. Mom was quiet and would rather observe and listen than be in the spotlight. She had a genuine interest in others' lives, and this was even evident after her stroke in the comments she made and the questions she asked us. Different times we heard her comment, Leroy and Tanya's baby's name is Blake. If I was at home in Floyd on Sundays, it was a part of my day to call her and chat about her week. We both look forward to catching up with each other's communities and any family news. Sundays will have a huge empty spot in it for me now. With the doctor's prognosis of four to seven days to live after her last stroke, we feel so grateful that the Lord gifted us with four additional weeks to gather around mom and care for her. We share so many memories of those special weeks with her. Her true character was evident as a patient as well. She was a wonderful patient and so easy to care for. I appreciate the way the Lord timed all the events so I could have the privilege to be with mom when she took her last breath. What a glorious sunrise mom experienced this past Monday morning. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. She has certainly run her race well and left behind a fine example for us to follow.
2: God bless all of
0: you. Turn in your hymnals to number 536. sure if I should say this, but I think I will. Somewhere in heaven, I have this picture that mom and daddy are standing together. He has his arm around mama and his, a smile on his face because he was justified, the crowd of her. And mama, her, the tip of her nose is red. And there are tears in her eyes, and she's fumbling in her pocket for her handkerchief. I guess they have handkerchiefs in heaven. <laughs> this song <clears throat> this song, goes back to Daddy's funeral. <clears throat> we were talking as a family and planning the funeral service after Daddy died. And uh, she had asked me if I thought I could lead the singing, and was asking me about songs that I thought we should sing. And then we got to the closing song and she said the last song should be one that had a triumphant note in it, something something victorious about it. And I suggested this one. And she was sitting on a footstool beside my chair. And she gave this little hop like she did when she was really pleased and clapped her hands and she said, that's it. So we'll sing this for mama one more time. (coughs) Number (coughs) 536, this is the one you'll probably have to help me with the most. (coughs) (coughs)
1: Lift your glad voices
2: Scriptures say, to sons and daughters, honor thy father and thy mother. And these children have honored, eloquently honored their mother. They had an honorable mother. And she was the woman she was because of her Savior, Jesus Christ. And her life glorified him. The service will be concluded at the graveside. There is a meal in the gym over here immediately following. Everyone is welcome to the meal. And I'll turn it over now to the ushers.